Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The savings rock when you find a new way to roll. Like sharing the ride to work. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others who live and work near you. It's easy and free. Plus, you can get cash and other rewards for carpooling, up to $600 a year. Get rolling on a new way to work with Rideshare. Register today at commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. That's commuterconnections.org. Some restrictions apply. She was loud. She was so loud. <laughs> Excuse me. I know I know people of color are very passionate, but I, we have children. I pay lots of money to live in a nice place and you're louding it up. You're you're new here, ma'am. Ma'am, 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 ma'am. Let me listen, ma'am. I know people of color don't like to listen, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my neighbor. All right. Yeah, that was your neighbor. And that was, uh, so how do you have this recording, Cena? By the way, this is the brighter side. This is the brighter side of gentrification. Ed Larson, Cena John is back. Boom. Beautiful, hey, looking hey, hey. great. Mary Kelly, Jeffrey Joseph Yo. is in the house. What a beautiful day. Cena, this is your neighbor that you live by? So, yeah, the, so a little context for that. I think it's a, uh, it's a nice cold open, but at the same time, that man lives above me, and there was a new business that opened up in the neighborhood. And there's not a lot of foot traffic on this block, so they became like an event space. And they would, to make money, they Thursday through Sunday, they they run events. And my my fiance and I were always so happy. Which is a respectful days to do it. Exactly. They would they would run these events, and we would actually be on our balcony. We'd always like be like dancing, like kind of with them across the street. Always be so fun. And then one night, the neighbor above went down and filmed himself yelling at them because he was so upset that they would not be more quiet mm-hmm. with their event business. <laughs> with their business of running events and parties in a low foot traffic neighborhood. So they they draw people in. And what this this guy was so white, his wife's Polish, he's like the whitest guy you could ever possibly imagine. He went down there and he just basically started saying to her, as you heard on the video, you're new here. You're new here, hmm. and it 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 
just stirred something up in me, which especially when she was like, no, I am not new here. I was born here at Brooklyn Hospital. And not only does she own a business there, but she owns it with her sister and her brother. It is a family-owned business. The Literally the best type of business you could possibly have, the most holistic type of thing to yeah. go into business with your family. She even now lives in the same building where her business is. It's an amazing story what they've been able to do with that space. And then this piece of shit decides to film it and then send the video to the building listserv as a badge of honor, like, hey, <laughs> hey, fam. I got I got him. Oh, <laughs> Save this for your records. And so I took the clip and I sent it to the board along with five paragraphs of me seething with rage about how racist this man is and how and then people are like, we, I think we throw the word racism too around too much. And I was like, no, we don't. I have been called <laughs> I have been called a racist and I have been a victim of racism and so I know racism and this is racism and it's gotta stop. So he moved out now, so I feel like it's a problem. Oh, he moved out? Yeah, yeah, he moved out. Oh, oh yeah, he couldn't take yeah, it. Yeah, he went nice. to Connecticut. There was too much fun and laughter happening across the street. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for letting me share that, wow. guys. I'm really happy I got to throw that guy under the fucking bus. Wow, that's a, that's a happy ending. Yeah. <laughs> Cena got one back. Yeah. Wow. All right, and also joining us is my best friend, Mr. Pastrami. How you doing, buddy? Haven't seen you in a while. Haven't talked to you in a while. The, everyone, the world misses you. Oh, thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be back on the show. Thanks for having me. Hell yeah, man. And uh, Mr. Pastrami is here because he was, uh, I want to say, a business owner in Baltimore during the housing crisis and also running for office. And so uh, Lord knows that... There was some shit going on there. I remember the most colorful graffiti I ever saw was in Baltimore driving around with you. I don't know if you remember this day, but it was the first time I went to Baltimore, and I was just blown away by the city and, like, what it is and, like, how, like, crucial of a place it is. And my favorite graffiti I ever saw was huge. It was this little white girl jumping rope. It was, like, an entire side of the building, a little white girl jumping rope. And then above it, it just said, get the fuck out. Oh, shit. <laughs> Ghetto Banksy. I love that shit. Ghetto fucking Banksy. Wow. It was unbelievable. It was it was so it made me I was like, yeah, they're they're right. She should get the fuck out of here. <laughs> this is not a place for her. And she should leave. But you know it's it, uh yeah, it's a racial city, man. Baltimore. Uh just a lot of like spoken racism, not like undertones or you know, it's in your face. Uh, hey, man, I'm from Boston. I know just what you're talking about, so keep going. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it's just a very accepted thing, frankly. Uh, you know, it's just you live in a racist uh, society in Baltimore. Very, very spoken racist, uh, you know, interactions with people. More, more and more I think about how deeply racist our country is, and, and I wish almost that it was – more on its face. I wish it was out in the it open more, that we could identify it more. It, it definitely is more now, but it's almost like the racism is paired with this paranoia that happens, and then like one kind of begets the other. And I wonder if maybe Jeffrey, in your experience in Boston, or or Mr. Pastrami, your experience in Baltimore, 
if that's if that's something that you know you have a reaction to at all, Jeffrey. What, what do you mean paranoia? What, what, paranoia and racism are, are is well. It's like there's there's one part of it that is it is it is racism, right? And then there's the other part that is this primal fear that the other is coming in to um, uh, infiltrate your community or take over your way of life or attack your. But culture. they are. <laughs> <laughs> that's the issue. <laughs> and that's what I always try to share with people is like, you know, hey, white people, your kids are going to look a lot more like me than they are like you in the, in the future. So, I mean, I don't know. Is that something you experienced in Boston? I don't know. What was that experience like? Oh, yeah, Boston is exactly that. I mean, Boston is like you go a couple of blocks in the, in the wrong direction and somebody's going to throw rocks at you and call you nigger. I mean, that's what's going to happen. Well, I damn. Mean, yeah, that happened a lot when I was a kid. I was chased out of shit. I got chased home so many times that I stopped telling my parents because they would just get upset and they couldn't. What they what you can't go. What are looking. they gonna do? Yes. Mm-hmm. So you know. So were those Palestinians throwing rocks at you, or were those? Uh, so, it's those. always the Palestinians. <laughs> I don't know, and it's just the same handful. Yeah. Palestinian refugees. You surprised oh. there's not more of them are baseball pitchers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Disney movie in there somewhere, Eddie. Oh, oh yeah, they made it with uh, Did they really? with uh, which Mad Men guy with John Hamm. Oh, that was an Indian guy, though. Yeah, he's a cricket player. They all play cricket. <laughs> Those desert people all look the same. Anyway, uh, so tell us about some of your experiences in Baltimore. I mean, you were you were shedding some light on me uh, earlier uh, this week about things you saw going on there because you were running you ran for office you you were in the thick of it yeah i was there for so long i was there before the real estate uh boom which that was when you and i were just you're like do you have any thoughts on gentrification i was like yeah i lived in baltimore during the real estate boom and bust so that was insane yeah. uh that was literally the definition of gentrification that was like a, a poor plighted neighborhood uh with depressed real estate prices and then developers and yuppies take a look at a certain area geographically and they're like, this should be developed. This could have investment. This could have improvements. We could add infrastructure to this neighborhood, you know, irregardless of the people that have lived there for generations, uh, you know, something down by like an industrial neighborhood, something, you know, where there is water, but it's not, you know, by a track. And yeah. there's a reason for it real estate wise not to be awesome. And then you come in and you, throw billions of dollars and you take, you know, a 10 or $15,000 row house and turn it into $350,000 and somebody gets a mortgage on it with cheap money. And that was literally the, the story behind Baltimore from 2003 to easily 2008, you know, five, six hard years. You could even say the same for Washington, D.C. And these are like historical towns that have had booms and busts, have had, you know, white flight and you know racial you know blacks white moving in in different generations in the 60s there was you know this right by pimlico racetrack in baltimore was this million dollar neighborhood of these big mansions and estates and now it's like these seven eight bedroom homes that are literally look like something out of a haunted film that have just been like abandoned a lot of poverty in those neighborhoods now and you know it's just you could see the generational shifts of of you know of of investment and money and then that investment and money moving out and then cyclically 50 60 years later uh something historic that we'll probably not see again in our lifetimes you know the mid-2000 real estate money uh and that was what i was texting you hey eddie that was 
that was literally Baltimore just taking entire areas, taking that free money uh, and just transitioning. See, I love so, the way you yeah, talk about it because it's, it's it's so systemic and it, it's such a huge thing because uh, we just see the filtered down version. We mm-hmm. just see some white girl walking down the street saying, like, why don't they like me? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> why do people make me feel so uncomfortable around here? I just don't get it. <laughs> you, know? We, you know, we see the angry brother on the corner who's like, fuck out of here. We see we see that shit, but we don't see the huge mechanism behind it yeah. that, that, that creates all this displacement and anger and tension and friction. I know? don't know about you guys, but that's what also makes me feel hopeless. To, to change it, right? Is that is like how do you stop the tidal wave of capitalism that moves into a city or moves through it on something like that, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Pastrami? So funny, we're still calling you Mr. Pastrami. I love it. Uh, <laughs> how when you were running for office, was that something that you were thinking about? Is that something, or was that something that's just so so far beyond on a macro level that you you can't really stop something like that? So I wish I could say that my political uh, run in Baltimore was anything more than like a self-motivated F you to this other woman that had <laughs> been messing with me politically. I, I, you know, but there have been really, really successful, great political leaders in the city of Baltimore that actually, um, you guys, I mean, she's the longest running U.S. female senator, Barbara, Barbara Mikulski. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You guys familiar with that mm-hmm. chick? So she, I don't know if she retired last year. She's got to be in her late 70s, 80. Barbara Mikulski, if you look her up, she started as a Baltimore City political activist. And there was this neighborhood in downtown Baltimore, if you want a gentrification story, that's totally appropriate. Yeah. This woman, there was a, 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 a little area down by the Baltimore Inner Harbor and this neighborhood called Sharp Leadenhall, S-H-R-P hyphen leaden hall. I don't even know how to spell it. <laughs> That's the hard part. Anybody could have spelled the sharp part. Figure <laughs> that part out. But look up sharp leaden hall, man. This woman, literally, they were trying to basically, uh, you know, just bulldoze this entire neighborhood and put in a highway and all this big development down and like this was back in the early 80s and Barbara McCulsey like started this grassroots campaign like fuck you for taking our neighborhood and it was this tiny four foot eleven white lady mm-hmm. and all these inner city black people and this woman fought back at the time really messed up political one you know, brave white woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be a movie. <laughs> she she ran for senator, and she's been a senator ever since for 30 years. But that was literally how she got her start doing like a civic grassroots movement to fight off, you know, white development and infiltration in this really poor, historically black neighborhood in Baltimore. And she preserved it. The actual result of this, and a lot of people don't know it, is I-83, this major highway that goes through Baltimore, does not connect to I-95. You have to drive for like a mile and a half down the Baltimore Inner Harbor through traffic (laughs) to get from I-95 to this other highway. And every time a white guy does that, he's like, fucking niggers. (laughs) (laughs) We could have had an overpass with these fucking niggers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to just fly by and not see him. I just want to (laughs) go. They're all looking at me. God damn it. (laughs) You got to stop through Baltimore Inner Harbor, but, you know, the neighborhood got preserved. 
Mm. I think that's great. That's a great story. Yeah, and it's good for the Inner Harbor too. People got to stop. You got to get gas. You got to, you Eat know, some it's crabs. A, yeah, like all the and so other neighborhoods are actually uh, getting better from this as well. And it, the the thing with um, gentrification, because if you own your own your property, does that mean that you don't really have to worry about gentrification, or is it you still have to? I imagine you nope. would just because the prices of groceries and stuff would probably go up. Well, well, it's more yeah, than that too because it's, yeah. it's cultural. Uh, uh, I guess Spike Lee a couple of years ago was complaining about uh, his father's neighbor. His father yeah. still still lives in Fort Greene, and he he plays jazz music like he's been playing for the last you know number of decades. Years, yeah. yeah, exactly. And some white people move next door, and they're like, "Could you, you know, um, um you what shit? No, stop." <laughs> and Spike Lee was like, "You know, he's been here for fifty years doing this. You're the new people. You moved in." Yeah, but it, it be like. And there's this Fort Greene Park is right across from where he lives, and there used to be a whole lot of black events that would happen in Fort mm-hmm. Greene Park because mm-hmm. Fort Greene used to be kind of like a black artist mecca, I guess, 15 or 20 years ago, but but they've all been gentrified out. But the park kept being this place where people... So they have the Afropunk Festival. That, yeah, that, yeah, among other things, yeah. yeah. And then uh, some other stuff would happen too, Soul Summit and just a bunch of other stuff. Other stuff besides dancing and music, Ed. That's what I do. <laughs> but basically, the white people formed this thing called the 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 uh, the Fort Greene Conservancy. Oh, yeah, the Conservancy geez. because we're really concerned about the park and we want to maintain it. <laughs> but basically, they cut all those events. You can't have those events there anymore because it's run by the new people. Do you think that's why Spike started doing like the Michael Jackson? Uh, memorial like party thing there after MJ died and he's doing a Prince thing there too yeah now. I think he does that, but he does that in uh, in uh, Prospect Park oh he does it in Pro- oh that's yeah, right man, I think the yeah. first year I mm-hmm. thought was in Fork Ridge yeah. yeah. and the Prince thing was at his club oh it was yeah God. You, you just can't do anything at that park now yeah. so what is it that like certain neighborhoods will never change like Brownsville's never gonna change Jamaica no. oh. might not change oh. Wait or, for Brownsville to change. We that's, don't know. The, that's on the cusp, man. You think so? I was in oh, East yeah. New York and I saw some new buildings. I mean, the, one of the reasons why they build affordable housing isn't just to give people affordable housing. It's to it's the beginning of the gentrification of a neighborhood because now you have this city that comes in and they build all this stuff and they decide what income levels that the people have to be to get this affordable housing. And guess yeah. what? It's out of reach of the people who live in that neighborhood. If the if you, the affordable housing is for people up to sixty five and seventy five thousand dollars in income and it has a minimum base to it, then the people who actually live there now can't live there. And who who's making sixty five and seventy five thousand dollars a year? Who's going to move in there? That's right, Ed. You fill out an application, motherfucker. <laughs> But it's like uh, in Brooklyn, there just recently, uh, the Brooklyn Armory is this huge, beautiful space that is kind of like it's been like a men's shelter for a long time and a shelter for uh, for people. And now they're going to turn it and convert it into apartments and affordable housing. But what is affordable? If I just looked this up recently, it's like 2K a month. Yeah. For rent mm-hmm. for like a one bedroom. That's what I'm talking about. And I was like, wait a minute, this is not. This is barely affordable for me. That's like this yeah. is really not affordable for people. Two K would make sense if it was like a three bedroom and you had to like pay two K for your family. Yeah, it's really. But un- even that's a lot of money when you think about it. Yeah, you- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's really unbelievable. And, and I don't know who makes up the affordable housing numbers when they when they say what affordable means. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange to me how they're able to. To create that type of housing, and the city just rubber stamps it because it's a lot of tax revenue for them. It's a lot of revenue from all these, you know, these these more expensive developments that come into the city here. So that whole neighborhood's going to change again. 
circling back to your comment around Brownsville, uh, in September of last year, there was an article, uh, Best of Brownsville Street Kiosks Triggers Local Gentrification Fears. And what the article basically talks about is that in uh, the neighborhood of Brownsville, there's been more of a focus on promoting the arts, local libraries, parks, uh, and other local institutions. I'm wondering if you guys have any opinions about the idea that like part of what starts a wave of gentrification is a focus on the arts. That's interesting. Yeah, what is the what is the first sign of gentrification? Well, I mean, artists are always going to be poor. Artists are always going to live like a like a pure like painter is not going to have money. You know, this is why they're all going to Detroit and buying houses for, you know, $500 and and uh, starting communities there. And I don't know if it's the if the the artists aren't to me aren't the ones you got to worry about. It's the people who own the buildings and jack up the prices. The artists I think probably want the neighborhood to stay the same as much as anyone else. Uh, no. They ultimately they wanted to take on their character too. Mm. I mean I mean that that's just that's just human nature unfortunately. Everybody everybody wants something that they feel is friendly and that they feel represents who they are. And then the more that starts happening, you know, especially with artists, they start to build a community that people who are not artists uh, find attractive. Yeah, you know, like you know, that's what happened in Waynesburg, happened in East Village. You know, they're like, oh well, gee, look at these cute little shops and this nice little paintings on the wall, and you know, I, I you know, I don't have this kind of job, but I want to be around this shit, and then things kind of keep going from there. Jeffrey, what is the first sign of gentrification for you? White people. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Pastrami. <laughs> but I got to tell you, uh, something. the history of New York is the history of gentrification. Wall Street used to be a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn Heights used to be a black neighborhood. Central Park was a black neighborhood called Seneca Village and they oh. said hey look at all these niggers let's make a park and they just got rid of them all wow. and that's what Central Park is now so, so they it's a, it's always a constant decision about who to displace and for what reasons you know and when you're uh, when you're displacing people where do they go Oh, nobody gives a fuck about that yeah, yeah. Uh, well, somebody else's problem well you got I mean obviously you know they're still Americans they're still citizens where do you put them I mean, like, if they're going to leave, okay, well, I remember, okay, like, well, how about, like uh, when that's Stuyvesant That's two town. presumptions, too, about if they're still Americans or they're still citizens. A lot of people aren't citizens. Yeah. So, so they really have no fucking recourse. And they're not Americans. That's you know, true. So they really have no fucking recourse. So, yeah. um, Mr. Pastrami, when people were displaced in Baltimore through gentrification, where, where did they end up spreading out to? Uh, the suburbs. It's always the case. So a better example, which is actually kind of a cool example to look at, is Washington, D.C., you know, 40 minutes south of Baltimore. Mm -hmm. You got uh, PG County. That's Mm -hmm. where uh, Mm -hmm. Durant is from. That's where Mellow's, Carmelo Anthony's from. So, you know, these are actually, for Washington, D.C., this is kind of a success gentrification story to a certain degree, where a lot of the inner city, you know, plight got kind of outpriced in the 60s and 70s, the last real big boom in D.C., they went out to PG County just on the other side of the Beltway. And as the you know generations went on, that actually became kind of like a nice middle-class black suburb. Yeah, but one um, thing you have to remember about, G- like about D.C., which is different than most other major metropolitan places, is that the amount of government workers and the amount of black people can get jobs in government because they're, mm-hmm. you know— anti-discrimination and all that other shit and there's a lot of black people who become middle class and upper middle class just because they're government employees so in that particular case that kind of worked out yeah that did yeah Uh, no but that's true and then one other thing because we're talking about it and it kind of makes sense and i just want to put this out there so i guess we're kind of merging like the race and the class 
mm, behind yeah. like uh, mm-hmm. the strategy of you know gentrification. But I saw a couple examples in Baltimore City where it was white slums that started becoming cool and started quote unquote you know getting more investment and more artistic movement and then these white slums became really really developed and a lot of yuppies and a lot of demand and then again it was a situation where it was just you know rich people moving out poor people mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah and, and that's that happened what happened well. in uh, we, we're, we're philly related, too with but. fishtown fishtown was awful when i was a kid you just didn't go there it was, and it was just it was just white people who kill you. They, Do they still like, call it Fishtown? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a horrible name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's it. Fishtown is the hipster town of Philadelphia now, and now so it's a very popular place, a great place to live. And it's weird when you look at the housing, and everyone's like, you twenty years ago, you they would look at where people lived, and you're like, this is awful, this is awful. And now that we're moving in, now that I'm, you know, now that people like me are moving in, I'm getting in this place. I'm like, eh, this isn't a bad apartment. This is a nice place. You know, it's just, it's so it's all like, it's all just comes back to what the neighborhood is. And I, I go back and forth. I think that there are benefits to gentrification. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is definite uh, downfalls and the mixing of cultures, I think can be a benefit as long as it's done, you know, Peacefully, absolutely. Like my, my nephews, uh, who are drinking age, they they come to New York now and uh, take them to a bar. Like I went to this place in Fort Greene, went to Moe's, and it's you know it's multicultural. And they just looked around for a few minutes, and they were like, "This is this is so advanced," because for them that's yeah. it's like wow, there's black people, white people, Hispanic people, uh, Asian people, <clears throat> you know, no Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so everybody feels safe. <laughs> Let me just say, my people have been repressed at every corner. <laughs> but, you know, they were just amazed that there's so many people could just be in the same place enjoying each other's company. And that's, yeah. that's, one, of the, that's one of the positive things of, of gentrification. You know? I love it when I yeah. go to my local bodega and the... Like the owner's cousin is the guy that owns the liquor store on the mm-hmm. block, and he's coming in there and he's hanging out. I'm like, hey, and then like I'm talking to him, I'm like, oh my god, you're a family. Wait a minute, this family owns this whole block. <laughs> I love that, you know. Yeah. And it's really, I, I've always really appreciated that in my neighborhood. And somehow, I think the small families that have this like fiefdom in my neighborhood have have staved off a lot of like the corporate interest gentrification mm-hmm. that happens. Because I also think like Starbucks moves in, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. You know, but- like a big old bank moves in. Also trouble, but this bodega gentrification too. That corner store gentrification, <laughs> where it was, it was this Hispanic dude who was there for like 20, 30 years, and now you go in there, and it's like an Arab, Asian, Indian person who still looks a little Hispanic. <laughs> yeah. But the homies don't know that, so they just keep it coming like, "Yo, Poppy, let me get a cigarette." And dude's like, "I am not Poppy. I don't call me. I am not a Poppy." You know? yeah. See, I think the first real sign of gentrification is organic milk. That'll do it. Or just fresh vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> in Bed-Stuy, they, they redid the, the fucking vegetable section so that there was organic vegetables and, 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 and organic fruit, and there were those sprayers coming down, and I was like, it's coming, man. It's, it's coming. coming. Yeah. And I saw this brother with his girl, and she was picking up these uh, bananas, and she says, oh, these, these are organic bananas. Let's get these. And he was like, put that shit down. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he said this. He says, how the fuck can a banana be organic? <laughs> I just love that shit. How the fuck can a banana be organic? <laughs> I think I think the first sign is when you see that that first sign outside a coffee shop that says cold brew yeah. because that is a drop uh, and that is somehow how about some, the gay community yeah, yeah I don't know 
Oh, well, I think so. the gay community will They always are an indicator, you know? You got the gays coming in, they're fucking clean, take care of the place, you know? They're fearless with the Koreans. I want to give a shout-out to the Korean community, too. <laughs> They'll move into a black neighborhood and not give a shit. Oh, they don't give a shit. <laughs> Here was the good thing about when, when, the, when, when the gay people started moving into bed the white gay people, is it made the black teenagers, the dudes, made them pull their pants up. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What's the thing with a, oh, this dude's really looking at my ass? No! <laughs> that was a positive that was a positive thing that's good Bill Cosby thanks you gay people <laughs> I tell you man some people walking down the street like this is a butt buffet out here <laughs> this is incredible <laughs> oh that's great of course that happened that's wonderful the uh it, it, I gotta I gotta help with uh uh, I'm losing. I'm losing my train of thought here. I'm sorry. I smoked too much weed, and uh, but it, it's another sign of gentrification. When, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I remember another when thing I, that remains constant is the weed. Yeah, <laughs> the weed remains constant. Speaking of which, when I moved to New York for the first time, I moved in right by the Marcy Projects, and right outside the hospital, like Woodhull Medical Center. And I remember my next door neighbor used to sell weed to everyone in the projects. And they were just like confused on like why me and Holden McNeely decided to live there together, and like because we were the only white people for oh, forever. And then uh, I was just like you know because we were both you know from Florida, just scared out of my mind. You know every time I'm walking around, there's bullet holes in my door. One day, really? crazy shit, yeah. And then I remember uh, I was talking to the guy, and he's like, "Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. They all think you're a cop." And I, was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Good, let deep cover. I'm, let them know I'm a cop. <laughs> deep, 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 deep cover. Deep cover. <laughs> you don't even know you're a cop. You're a cop. That's really deep." <laughs> but man, you know, and it's and it, I I saw there was a, a serious case of displacement because that was when they shut down Stuyvesant Town. And turned it into basically a dormitory where, uh, remember when Stuyvesant Town changed over from a project to housing for oh, everybody? Oh, you mean in the city? Yeah. And, yeah, in the oh, yeah, okay. And so when they shut it down and they moved everyone out of there, there was a lot of, there was gangs in there, of course. And then the gangs got displaced and like had to go live with their aunt or whatever. And so they had a lot of situations where they were forced into these other buildings. And then they show up and then the rival gang lives in that building and shootings just went up in my neighborhood every time i came home there was an ambulance outside the projects and it was like for a couple months it was insane and so this displacement actually you know breeds violence yeah uh, speaking of uh the city actually i just saw this in the paper about uh developers are trying to change the name of the streets the area between 110th and 125th street what to soha Oh, so south, oh, south of Harlem. Wow. Well, you know so, what? Fuck so. them. Then they got to call Manhattan so ha ha. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so so and, ha. You can't. But then that. immediately the community board got together and put out a statement. They were like, "No coffee shop, no business, no nothing. Nobody should be calling this neighborhood so ha. Nobody." Oh. This, and I think that's like a really good thing. Who would want to call it that? Well, the, this has been a long-term thing because there's an article about it in the New York Times from 1999. Oh my God. And yeah. then another one from earlier this year. I mean, the song yeah. is across 110th Street. You can't change it to oh, Soho. Man, going back. <laughs> <laughs> but 110th Street, that's completely gone because that faces the park, man. That is, that's prime fucking territory right now. Yeah, no, it's real expensive up there. Yeah. 
and yeah, I, I guess now for the uh, Harlem is half black and half white. There's many white people as, as black people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this article also mentions yeah, it's so hot appeared in the New York Times story 18 years ago, and about the first signs of gentrifications. Uh, gentrification. Uh, it's it's just troubling to me, like the the changing. I get Tribeca, Dumbo, cute, you know. Yeah. But when you really are going into areas that are historically cultural, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, it's not just where some warehouses were. Yeah, this that's is a, Long know, Island City. It really doesn't matter. Yeah, it was just a, a empty land. You know, yeah, it just seems really striking. And then you know they do that now over. I guess in the, I guess between my neighborhood and Crown Heights, they're calling it Pro Crow or some other area. It's like something strange. Pro Crow. Prospect just so you can... Heights, Crown Heights, and then Pro Crow, which I don't understand. Yeah. Doesn't even sound good. Yeah, Pro Crow. No, Pro Crow doesn't. Who's so, sounds I, like a medication. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I noticed, and uh, one last thing, Mr. Pastrami, before we let you go, uh, is you, you've also spent uh, some time in Long Island City as well. And there's this the projects in Long Island City, the Ravenswood projects, uh, are down on 21st Street. And I noticed something, yeah. and it's like a. And the QB, from, that's where Nas is from, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's where Nas is from. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I, I, I got to say that it was so upsetting to me when I. Like had like something clear. I noticed something that they. It's almost like they chose to make it a worse neighborhood on purpose. When right next to a playground and the basketball court, in the middle of the projects, there's houses all around it. They put the facility where they clean the garbage trucks oh. right in the middle of their neighbor in their homes, and it's like yep. it's just like and it's right. There, right on 21st Street, next to a basketball court, next to a playground. And that increases the, the possibility of kids getting asthma more than any other indicator. Mm-hmm. Just that. You know, that, that it, makes kids sicker. And there's so, and we know this about Long Island City, there's extra land. Right. You could have put that along the river where nobody was living. You could have put that, but you chose to make this a poor neighborhood and make it worse by cleaning the garbage trucks smack in the middle of it. Yeah, man. I mean, there there's some people who, who would argue that housing projects uh, were never made to work. Yeah. They were never made to be sustainable. They were always made to be, this is a place where we're going to house these people right now until we can get rid of them. <laughs> Long-term yeah. transitional housing. They, yeah, they, they've, never been, they've never been properly funded. It's like nothing, you know, it's, it's shit. Yeah, and uh, you you know you uh you were looking at property around there. What what, what do you think about that, Mr. Pastrami? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, that's it's 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 exactly like it's everything we've been talking about. So it's like how long before the cycle comes? How many developers are looking at Twenty First Street right now and wishing that that fucking project wasn't there? You know, they're like, man, we can make that the craziest new high-rise, you know? Because Queens Plaza is fucking crazy now. The buildings in Queens Plaza, it is dizzying how many high-rises are right by... I mean, that's that's about a 10-minute walk from what we're talking about right now. Yeah, the end used to be... Right across the street. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, A whole other one. Yeah, and and another one down on 21st Street. There's a major area over there that could be developed, and it's just... And it is being developed. It's turning into the Atlantic Center almost. Yeah. And you I I remember... Lord, no. Six six years ago, driving down uh, on the... On the subway, you could still see the buildings of Manhattan, and now you, just, you all you see are these like, La Quintas and fucking Sheridans and shit. It's uh, it's aggravating. Listen, as like as 
I think it's great, but I'm not the person that is losing my family's home. I mean, how many generations of people grew up in that project over the last, I don't know, whenever that project was developed, probably in the 50s, mm-hmm. you know, that style, 60s. So, you know, 60 years later, that's hot real estate. And you could do that, you know, just like we were saying with Wall Street. I mean, you could literally go through New York for the last 250 years and look at what neighborhood got the investment when, and then it just kind of just shifts around. You know, what is the I, listen, I, I, I see the pros and cons, and I guess that's the point of the show. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it would be awesome to develop, you know, and make, you know, the garbage trucks not, you know, across the street from this living area and put money into Long Island City. But it's just, I think it also goes back to class. That's just like a, that, that was a poor neighborhood. And now it's not hopefully going to be a poor neighborhood after some period of time. And, you know, a new poor neighborhood will pop up where they potentially house people for some small period of time, I guess. I guess I have just one other question. Is I always try to think of, like, maybe the, the I, I actually have this weird belief that government can fix problems. So is there a different way? Oh, I know. Whoa, I know. Whoa, okay. <laughs> you know what? You fucking liberal fucking cuptard, libtard, coming in here. Work. Those people need to get a job. Those kids with asthma need to get a fucking job. They can wear a mask. They can wear a mask. Uh, it, what if the public housing wasn't these big, you know, dorm-like things and more single-family homes in row houses that we were able to create? Do you think that would maybe change the way maybe the communities were developed and how people were able to have more upward mobility at all? I mean, that's what they did in Yonkers, and it, and it worked to a certain extent. But, you know, those buildings are always going to be built, you know, because people know that they're money makers. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you're always in the, in the, in the, the hardest part of, of those, like the, the worst buildings that there are. I mean, some of them are better than others, but the really bad ones uh, are more dangerous inside than they are outside. Yeah, because it's a locked door. And when a cop comes in, everyone's letting everyone know there's a cop coming in and it becomes, you know, a dangerous place. You har- it's a horrible inside. It's like the fucking tower, mm-hmm. you know, so it's. I don't know. It's it's a you gotta find a way to get more houses because people will take care of their house. You know, yeah. they did that project in Oakland with the homeless, and they they gave them homes and they took care of their homes. You know, if you give someone something to be prideful for, you hope that they will. Well, also, you know, you have, you have a problem with with public housing in that uh, there was a whole bunch of government policy which basically separated husbands and wives, I mean, oh, partners. Yeah. You know, in other words, uh, so if, let, let's say there's a, a single mother who's living in, in, a, in a housing complex, uh, and all of a sudden she gets a boyfriend, and uh, all of a sudden they can't live there anymore. Yeah. Because he's he's another person, he's not on the list. Uh, if he gets a job, he makes a, a certain amount of money. Really, not enough money to move anywhere else. Yeah. But it's just like then they get kicked out. So it's like it's actually creating a situation that's, that's that's just not good. Then you know, like the stop and frisk, like in the projects, you ever hear where hear how that fucks shit up? It's like people would literally, and this, the court had to get involved because the cops were like targeting people leaving their apartments to throw out trash. Because that was the, that was the one time they knew they wouldn't have ID, and so that's when they would go and stop and frisk them and ask them for the ID, and then if they didn't have ID, they get to take them to jail, and uh, so is you know how is that it's, it's possible? The, what? I mean, I mean, how is not having an ID a crime? Uh, well, see, it's so funny because as, like as a as a black dude, I I always take ID out in New York City. I, I've always taken ID mm-hmm. because there's just some kind of there used to be some kind of ordinance in law, and I think there still is that. 
if somebody writes you some kind of summons and you don't have proof of like where to send the summons to, <clears> then they get to take you downtown until you can prove where you live. So, oh. th so that's how that started. But then stop and frisk kind of, th there didn't have to be a reason anymore. You didn't have to do anything wrong. They could mm -hmm. just stop you. And if you didn't have ID, then they could just take you, they could take you away. And that fucked up a lot of people, man. Uh, Mr. Pastrami, I think we're going to let you go, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and talking to us for a little bit. Uh, you keep uh, up keep pleasure. up all your good work, buddy. Uh, love you. Miss you. Hopefully see you soon. Nah, thank you guys for inviting me. It was really nice chatting with everybody today. Oh, yeah. Thanks, good talking man. to you, man. All right, bye. Yeah, man. Take it easy, everyone. Thanks, guys. Right. Bye. Peace. That was kind of leading to something I really wanted to get into more is just like, the fact that racism does in fact still exist in this country, no matter what you think, uh, growing up in college, I didn't believe it, you know, just cause you don't have racist beliefs yourselves. Don't think that the rest of the world doesn't, uh, and just to, and to watch it. I know there's classism and racism and are very similar things, but Eddie, we had a black president. <laughs> and he lived That was all over Exactly And he lived You know yeah, My man. favorite line From Get Out Was like in the first 10 minutes When uh, Williams was telling me He goes My daddy Would have voted for Obama For a third term I think that's the most Indicative moment Of what we're experiencing As a culture Where people think No it's post-racial I'm cool I'm oh, him it's unreal. Yeah, because because you know you know we're seeing the fucking whip around from that shit right Oof. now. Yeah, you know? I got whiplash. Yeah, it's insane. What? Because he couldn't have gone more in the opposite direction. No, no, no. Uh, it wouldn't even let a white woman be president. That was like, yeah. oh no, we need the we need the original white guy. <laughs> yeah. he, you know, he's got everything we need. He's racist. He's a bully. He's completely entitled. Oh you know? my god! I mean, not to mention, I mean, we're going fucking we're, idiot. we're going off a little bit, but like what he did back in the eighties with displacing people in the properties mm -hmm. that he oh, owned. Oh yeah, man. And then and then and I'll, then not allowing people of color to live in his place. Oh yeah. yeah, he wouldn't let him in. He'd kick yeah. him out of his casino if they yeah. were gambling in Atlantic yeah. City. Yeah. And the mob showed up. He would, they would kick all the black people out of the casino because the mob didn't want to gamble next to black people. The blacks love him though. The blacks love him. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch uh, the Roger Stone documentary on Netflix, there are a lot of black Trump supporters that are in there, mm -hmm. and they are they were interviewed a couple times, and they they are angry at the system. Mm -hmm. And what Jeffrey, what do you do with something like that? What do you how do you how do you translate the anger toward an entire system that then gets funneled into a man that is absolutely on his face not going to help any sort of cause for them? Well, you know, I, I think yeah, that that's it's that's a huge And this a is huge, your responsibility, hugely, Jeffrey. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you, know you know, something like ninety three percent of black people who voted voted for fucking Hillary Clinton and we yeah. don't even fucking like her. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we're willing to take one for the fucking team. Yeah. Okay. You know, we knew she wasn't going to treat us well, but we were like, fuck it. It's better than this idiot. So these, these, these few people, these, I mean, there's always these black outliers who are just, you know, you see them on Facebook and, you know, they, yeah, give Trump a chance and he's going to, you know, you'll find out. You'll well, find out we, sooner or later, bro. Mm -hmm. In a previous episode, we interviewed a Trump supporter who is a black woman. Mm -hmm. Remember? Oh, yeah. right. Yeah. She, Amber's uh, sister-in-law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's a military woman. Oh, yes. okay, military. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd love to do like a uh, catch-up with her. That would be great. 
uh, to see how she feels to, uh, now. That's pretty. Yeah, good all things idea. considered, yeah, yeah, yeah. But these people double down, man. Their feelings don't change, you know, because they're they're they're, they're kind of hardwired into that super super conservative kind of uh, let's not look at the facts agenda. Yeah, know? it was crazy. Uh, we just did the, switching it up. I was talking about the wall with uh, some family members. There was a graduation last weekend. And I was talking with the wall with some family members. The wall. And the wall. And just like the the racism behind the wall and what, wall. It, and what and what it is. And then he's like, and he was like, "Oh, I'm glad you guys, you know, are a part of this because we really got to get that thing done." <laughs> I was just like, "Whoa!" I was yeah, like, "No, we don't." And he's like, "He's like, oh, what? You're against it?" Like looking at me like I had four heads, like Man. finding out that I was against the but wall. But Eddie, how are we gonna protect <laughs> ourselves from all these drug dealers and these rapists? Yeah. And- I'll tell you, the drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> Former alleged drug dealer. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, the drug dealers aren't the ones coming in. The drug dealers are perfectly happy running Mexico. Yeah. They, they are they are, they are they are good to go. They are not trying to cross that border. They don't, you know, the people in the cartels, yeah, they cause fucking hell for everyone in Mexico, but they're not trying to fucking come over. They're not going across these border crossings that have border police, normal cops, FBI, DEA. CIA, they're all at these border crossings every day. You're not trying to fuck with that when you're just, you know, some low-level cartel member. What you will do is you will kidnap someone's family and then shove a bunch of drugs up his ass and send him across the border. That's something they will do, and then the wrong person goes to jail. And that is what happens every time. Pretty ninety-five percent of the time, they catch someone with drugs coming across the border. It's not that person ain't making money; they're saving their families' lives. Wow. You know, <laughs> it's interesting how all this connects because uh, basically, this whole thing of, of no no immigration, zero you know tolerance immigration policies, like you cannot come here. But gentrification is we can live wherever the fuck we want. Yeah, you know and what I mean. You gotta it's, go, it's, yeah. and you gotta go. So it's it's all kind of the same thing. It's all you know. It's all white and supremacy. And it's guys. Yeah. This, is this protection of culture, and that's you here in Europe too, with kind of like the white supremacy, that the white nationalism that right, happens. Right. And it's like, what can you define culture first? Can you yeah, define yeah. what that culture is before you start protecting it? Because I think we have different definitions of what that American culture yeah. is. And you know you know what really gets me? Because both, both with the situation with Mexicans and, and with Muslims, it's like so blown out of proportion. Like this whole fear about Sharia law and this Muslim oh, yeah. influx. America is 1% Muslim. Yeah. 1% fucking percent and if you read the newspaper you think oh it's got to be 30 percent muslim they're, they're fucking everywhere you know but it's just like one in a hundred fucking people are muslim and not just that and it's just like worldwide 1.6 billion muslims worldwide seven percent of them are radicalized seven percent if you can even believe that that because what you're saying is that there's 120 million people who are doing violence in, in the name of of uh of Islam and Making I don't, know, I, yeah. I don't yeah. think that's true either yeah I think that's grossly inflated yeah but even though that that's still like as a comparison you can't go at 1.6 billion people and call them all murderers yeah you know that's just gonna turn them into murderers you know it's just like because I, I, me personally if someone mm. like I one of the, my biggest pet peeves is I'm talking to someone at a party and we're drinking and they and, call you a murderer and then you kill them yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's actually did. very similar to if that if I had a nickel <laughs> <laughs> can't take Eddie anywhere don't call him a murderer whatever you do <laughs> we're having a nice evening yeah, but if we get into a conversation and someone's like smaller than me mm-hmm. and we and it gets a little interesting the conversation it gets a little heated and I raise my voice out of 
of anger, just out of like excitement. Mm-hmm. It'll get to like, oh, don't beat me up, you know. Like and it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Wait, what kind of a monster? That? I get it a lot, dude. In L.A. Here, really? Here. I mean, the hipsters here are ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just—it like, drives me fucking. It makes me crazy. Yeah. That, you know, because people actually think just because I'm bigger than them, I'm just going to stoop to violence. Yeah, man. Yeah. Big, bigism has to be stopped. Man. Bigism yeah. is fucking. <laughs> <laughs> bigism is another one. Bigism, man. And, you know, but it's—it's it's all of that shit. I mean, yeah. and it's—and it stems, and it is. I don't know what it is about. I mean, because it goes back thousands of years. That you know, white people always trying to conquer the world, Napoleon, the Romans, everybody, you know, and it's just like, and when we came to America, that is the ultimate gentrification when we wiped out a race of people, mm. and so it is. It, you would think that would have stopped it, and now, and then we force, and then I mean, you force black people to become slaves and come to America, and now we're telling them they can't live here and you gotta move out of our neighborhoods. It's just the biggest irony. Yeah, man. And Fuck it, you. And then you, and sk- then you skipped the whole step when there was redlining and there was uh, segregation and they forced, they created ghettos, but they forced black people mm-hmm. to live in certain areas and denied them access to fund them and funding and, and access to all these kind of uh, government programs. where they, The ghettos yeah. were created. It wasn't like, you know... Of course, because they weren't allowed to live next door. Exactly, that's for damn sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's crazy, and it's yeah. and it's still and it's and it blows my mind that 2017 it's still happening. We're still arresting Indians because they won't give up their land. You know, we're still like, kicking people out of their own na- out of the ghettos we created. Natives, you gotta say native. I yeah. say whatever. Oh, that's the show, everybody. Hey, don't kill me, dude. No, but you're right about that. That was fucking. That is. That is a race. That is a race that is defined by uh, Christopher Columbus's ignorance, thinking that he. Drove a boat to India when he really yeah, landed man. here. Yeah, man. He, <laughs> yeah, man. That's white privilege right there. <laughs> it is. It, it's it's a uh, it's terrible to think about. But if you also look at Europe and they've been around, look at these other ancient civilizations that have been around for thousands of years. They got the same problems we do. We mm. just are new at it, and it's also like, oh, are we just just gonna have this for the forever for the next thousand but, years? You know, I, I do think that America is is an outlier in 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 its um it's it's on the cutting edge of of diversity mm-hmm. in terms of, of trying to have a multicultural society. I think yeah. I think we're the it's an the, experiment. It, it's it's oh man. <laughs> oh man, that sounded so fucking temporary. <laughs> it sounded like me and you were gone in a few months, Justin. <laughs> it's an experiment. Didn't work out. No hard feelings, right? Yeah, we're, yeah. we're trying something out here. We're trying out some new material. It didn't work. You guys <laughs> like boats, right? You like sailing? <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way. That it's just like, oh yeah, it's not gonna work out. We'll see, we'll see you on the next trial run, exactly. next experiment. But yeah, you know, we, we, I think you know it, it is bold new territory, and because uh, you know, no other no other countries are quite like this. And it's, it's we're going through a horrible time, and we'll hopefully we'll come through it. And uh, I feel like when, when I moved to Vancouver, you can tell me all about how things are going. Down. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey and I'll be working on our weed farm in Vancouver. <laughs> is there racism in Canada? You go to Canada, yeah, a lot. yeah, but it, of course there is. But it's it's just a lot less, and it's a lot more polite, a lot less, a lot less severe. 
Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I have to be careful when I go to Canada not to downgrade the diminish the experiences of my uh, my friends there who tell me like the racism they experience in Canada because it's for me ha having grown up in Boston and shit and lived in LA it's fucking yeah. it's laughable to me yeah like, like dude just somebody follow me around a store I'm like I'll take that <laughs> I'll take, somebody followed you in a store oh I'll take that yeah, you can ask him for directions where things are. <laughs> but you know it's, it's unjust shit that happens in, in Canada you know where the crackers less. are cracker <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. When, so this is the brighter side. Um, what are some brighter sides of this whole, of what's going on? To me, I think that racism as a whole, more than gentrification, I think is with the younger generation slowly going away a, a little bit. I in think, the cities. In the cities. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's becoming more entrenched in other places it for is, sure. Absolutely, yeah. But I, to your point, Eddie, I think, yeah, there is there is this kind of generational shift. Kids that don't you understand see. racism. Yeah. They, they don't get oh, it. They shifting. catch on kind of quick. <laughs> 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 they're little learning machines. Yeah. <laughs> Sponges of hate. <laughs> but I think, yeah, there is like a shift where there is a more a, a, an idea of just like, hey, this is, I'm just growing up in this city where there is more diversity around me. I'm accepting absolutely. of this. In a, yeah. a lot easier way And you know I never want to credit The internet for anything Because I think The internet has only Brought us Pulled us more apart But for a lot Of the younger kids It is actually helping Expose them to Different cultures In a little bit A little bit better Of a way And, and that's something That I never got to Experience when I was a kid I was just hunting For porn on the internet When I was a kid <laughs> yeah. Diverse porn But porn nonetheless mm -hmm. and, Bold step Yeah bold step. <laughs> But I think uh, Yeah I agree with you I think that's That's the shift And that's the progress That we can hope to make Is just like Get these kids Kids just go play with other kids that are of different cultures than they are. I think that's the only way to get through this. Yeah, I think it is too. Yeah. Yep. And if you, you know, and if you're a young kid out there and you're not sure if you're racist or not, uh, take Cena's advice and start jerking off to other cultures. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can't get hard mm -hmm. by at least three other races, you're a racist. Yeah, <laughs> three. And you're missing out. Three. You're missing, missing out on out. some good nuts, man. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent nuts. Like, that kind of nut. Like, oh, where'd that come from? Oh, shit. I didn't you got know. a list of three races. Cambodians. <laughs> Top three porn races are. Survey says. <laughs> Cambodian. Steve Harvey when you need him, right? Yeah. <laughs> Cambodian is so specific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cambodian. Uh, yeah, I'm more of a oh, South me, Korean. Me my people, they don't do it for me. <laughs> Laos, that's what I'm into. <laughs> Somebody from Thailand, my dick goes right down. But <laughs> <laughs> Laotian. All right, guys, this has been The Brighter Side. Thank you so much for listening, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me, man. Thanks for coming yeah, by, buddy. Is there anything? Thing, uh, you want to plug or talk about? Or? I just want to be able to keep my apartment. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll Jeff send this to your landlord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey's landlord. Go, go watch Dying Laughing on iTunes, and there's a series uh, called Dying Laughing that's going to come out uh, at the end of the year. So, ch check that out. Badass. Really and where thing. can people find you on Twitter? You're very. Uh, at Jeffrey Joseph, A.T. Jeffrey Joseph. That's very easy. Yeah. All right. And we got Cena John. At Cena John, I'm Ed Larson at EddieTunes underscore Mary Kelly. MJ Bulge. I don't know why I can't remember MJ properly. MJ Bulge? I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is The Brighter Side. Thank you guys for listening and taking us out. Is a brand new jingle for a man who is going to stick up for gentrification. Lord, I hope so, because I just said it. <laughs> Mr. Ben Kissel, BK for BK, running for Brooklyn Borough President. Take Is it away, really? Cowman. Yeah.
If you want to stand up for Brooklyn, vote BK for BK. He's a tall man for the small man. He'll stand up for what's right. And if he finds corruption, you know he'll lead a fight. So let's all vote for someone to show Brooklyn the way. If you want to stand up for Brooklyn, vote BK for BK. I'm Ben Kissel, and I approve this jingle. Shows like the one you just listened to, go to cavecomedyradio.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.